Good morning. It is good to gather. It will be even better when we can gather together once again. But it is good to join in uh, with the worship of the Lord. We have been called into his presence uh, in these days of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 coronavirus. We are gathering electronically rather than physically, but we long for the day when we can gather together again in this place. Hopefully we'll be given some direction and the elders can meet this week and make a decision moving forward. But we will communicate with everybody as we hear and as we decide. Uh, Somebody asked after the last couple weeks, why do I say um, to stand and sing? Uh, I was explaining to that person that uh, a couple weeks ago I did have an opportunity to watch the service from the church that I grew up in and the pastor there made an excellent point is that this is still worship. This is still gathering. So we maintain our routines. Um, While you are not hearing me live, you do have opportunity to listen to the singing, to the praying, to the reading and teaching of the scriptures. This is still worship. And so we still stay in that routine of worship, whether it's getting dressed whether it's standing for the singing, whatever it may be, we are to be reminded that this is not just an exercise in listening, but this is still worship. So I will probably continue to say, please stand as we sing, as we move forward. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 100, a psalm for thanksgiving. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, what a great reminder in this time of anxiety, in this time of fear, in this time of disease, we are reminded that you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever and your faithfulness continues through all generations. So we come before you today thanking you for all that you have given to us. We thank you for the homes that we have. We thank you for the family and the friends that we have. And we thank you for the opportunity to gather even though it's from a distance. Lord, help us to remember the joy of gathering together physically. And when we have opportunity to gather together again, help us to shout for joy in preparation for that time. When we gather together eternally, when all pestilence, when all disease is wiped out. You have called us in this special way to worship you. Be honored by our worship today. Our worship will entail the reading and teaching of Scripture. It will include the singing of songs and it will include prayer. Specifically right now, praying as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you have a hymn book at home, please turn to hymn number 41, When Morning Gilds the Skies. As I was reading this morning in my own personal personal Bible study in Jeremiah, I was reminded that As long as God's covenant with the sun and the moon stays in effect, he will be faithful to save. And so we are reminded when when the sun rises in the morning that God is faithful to his people. So if you are able, let us stand and sing hymn number 41, When Morning Gilds the Skies. Jesus. 
to have you back to cover my mistakes when I sing wrong verses in the hymns. Our prayer of confession today comes from where we have been reading. It is, comes from a Prone to Wander uh, by Barbara Duguid and Wayne Duguid Hoke. Lord God of heaven, we confess before you the ways in which we have abused your gift of sexuality. You gave us sex to be a wonderfully good gift within marriage, but we have perverted it in so many ways, using it to distract us from our boredom or loneliness, or to make us feel loved and accepted. We have used our sexuality as a means to serve our idols, instead of receiving it as a gift from you, to be used as you intended. There is not one of us who is blameless in your sight in this area, Some of us confess before you the physical acts of impurity that have left us feeling defiled and dirty. Others have committed the same acts in our mind and are thus equally guilty before you. Some have used our sexuality to manipulate others and gain their attention, or have created a romantic fantasy world in which others exist to worship us. Some are self-righteously proud of what we have not done, using our purity as grounds for boasting before you when any vestige of purity that we have is a gift from you. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that sexual brokenness is only one small window into the pervasive brokenness of our lives as your image bearers. Thank you for Jesus' perfect obedience in this area, as in every other, which enables us to stand before you forgiven and cleansed in him. Lord, help us to take our sexual brokenness to the cross, Help us to experience the comfort and peace that comes to us in the gospel and that enables us increasingly to say no to our idols. Teach us how to reach out to others for help and to support one another in our struggles and failures. Give us grace in our marriages to delight in our sexuality as a way of serving and enjoying one another. Above all, may our brokenness fill us with still deeper longing for the day when we will finally be made whole, when Jesus Christ returns. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from Jeremiah 3 and Matthew 9. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Truly in the Lord our God, is the salvation of Israel. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, 
Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. Our New Testament reading today comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Normally at this time in our service, as I've mentioned before, this is the time when tithes and offerings are collected. I'd like to say thank you to those who have sent in their tithes and offerings. I appreciate that. Um, I know the church appreciates it. The treasurer appreciates it. Um, If you are listening uh, to us today and you attend a different church, please remember them. I'm sure your church would appreciate your tithes and offerings as well. As we continue in our service, we are going to sing a song uh, from a handout. It's a song called I Surrender All. Um, You should be able to find lyrics just by looking them up, by Googling them. Um, It is an an, an older hymn, um, relatively well known, but we will sing I Surrender All. So let us stand and sing together.
Amen. Please be seated. What a great reminder that we live every moment of our life in the presence of God and should surrender those moments to him. So we go to the Lord in prayer. I do encourage you to daily pray for the relief from this virus and for wisdom for our government officials, both local, state and national, as we do come upon a deadline that they had given us several several weeks ago, that at the end of the month they would um, offer some new direction. And so we pray that we can gather together again. We pray that God either remove this virus from us or provide a clear and effective um, treatment and vaccine. Remember those in our family who have lost loved ones, who have lost friends, um, whether it's to this virus or just to life in general, um, lift them up and pray that God strengthens and comforts them. So let us approach our Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we know that you are the God who is in control and sovereign over all things. You are the law-giving God. You are the holy God. You are the God who is creator and exists above and beyond all things. You, you exist simply and totally. You exist within yourself without being dependent upon any other person, upon any other being, upon any other part of creation. We derive our existence from you through the fact that you have created all things, and yet you are self-sufficient in your existence. You are perfectly righteous. We, we also derive our righteousness from you, our goodness from you. Through the work of your Son, we are covered in your righteous, and yet you are perfectly righteous. You are perfectly good in and of yourself. Our pursuit of holiness is only possible because we derive our holiness from you, from the application of your Son's work by the Holy Spirit, and yet you are holy in and above in yourself. Lord, remind us that you are the creator and we are the creatures, that you have not only created us, not only placed us in this earth, but you have called us to live in certain ways. You have called us to live lives that are balanced between work and rest, that balance that you, that you modeled for us in creation, that six days of work and one day of rest. Lord, we are reminded that you exiled your people, the nation of Israel, from their land because they refused to give the land its rest. They probably refused to rest themselves in not giving the land its rest. So, Lord, forgive us for not resting. I wonder sometimes, I think we should wonder, are we forced into our homes because we have not rested well? And you are forcing us, our country, our world, into a period of rest. Forgive us for not resting well. Help us to balance our work and our rest in the way that you modeled, because you created the Sabbath for us. You created the Sabbath so that we might have time to come apart from the cares of this world, from the employments of this world, to worship you, to find rest in you, to to practice that eternal rest that we await entering when your son comes again. So Lord, help us to be refreshed in this time. And then when we come back to whatever normal looks like, that we continue the practice of rest. We have been exiled from each other. And when we are restored to this sanctuary, Help us to rest well. Help us to learn our lesson. Lord, I do lift up those who, um, because they work in places where they do acts of mercy, our, our doctors, our nurses, our respiratory therapists, our medical technologists, all those medical professionals, um, I ask that you protect them and help them to find time to rest even in the midst of this uh, medical emergency. For those who provide acts of mercy um, in police cars, in ambulances, I, I pray for safety for them as well as they still have to go about interacting with people in the community. 
Watch over them. Protect them. And for those who are in our midst who have lost loved ones, whether it's through this virus or whether it's through uh, just the fact that we live in a broken world, I ask that you provide comfort and strength to them. Lift them up during this time when they are separated, many of them from their support, from the support of family, from the support of friends. Remind them that you are good. Remind them that you are sovereign. Remind them that your love lasts forever and is faithful to them. Lord, the separation, uh, the stay-at-home orders, this kind of self-imposed isolation um, also causes trauma in other ways. It causes a mental trauma as people's lives have been shaken have been halted in many ways as their economic stability has been threatened. So we ask that you remind us that you offer peace that passes all understanding and that peace comes to us in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, remove this pestilence from us. Provide wisdom in treatment. Provide wisdom in the development of vaccine. Help us not rush into something that will cause more harm than good. And yet help us be wise in developing what we need for this. As we turn our hearts toward you, we also ask that you help us turn our brains toward you as well. As we listen to the reading of the word, as we listen to the teaching of the word, we have falsely separated the heart and the brain in our culture. And yet the two go hand in hand. Remind us that the more we learn about you, the more we love you. The more we love you, the more we should want to learn about you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Before we turn to the specific truths of Proverbs chapter 5, it is good for us to proclaim a summary of the truth of the Scripture. And that summary will come from the Apostles' Creed. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are in, as I mentioned earlier, Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, today we will consider this Proverbs chapter 5. It is one entire discourse from Solomon to his son, and we will consider the whole thing. So we will potentially pack a lot of information into a relatively short time, although hopefully it is not like trying to drink water from a fire hose. So here as we read, as I read, read with me from Proverbs chapter 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion, and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life, her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. If I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors, 
have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast always satisfy you. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For man's ways are in full view of the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline. Let astray by his own great folly. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we touch upon a subject that sometimes makes us cringe to talk about, other times, if we listen to our culture, uh, is an area where we think we are free, we ask that you give us wisdom as we discuss. Convict us of our sin and show us your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 5 is the beginning of a section in this introductory part that calls for wisdom in community relationships. The majority of Solomon's time in the next three chapters, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, will deal specifically with adultery or sexual sin, but we'll take a break in the first 19 verses of chapter 6 to deal with things like work, words, and interpersonal interaction. In today's passage and in the latter half of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7, we will see that the son is warned against the adulterous woman. Why would Solomon spend so much time in these first eight, excuse me, nine chapters of introductory material? Why would he spend two and a half chapters of those nine chapters on sexual sin and adultery? I believe it's because it is a pervasive temptation that we, as men and women, are are constantly tempted in. It's an area of sin that, that our culture especially just seems to throw at us. Uh, Carl Truman says that we have flipped the Victorian era on its head. In the Victorian era, if you went to a, a cemetery or a mausoleum, In the Victorian era, it was ornate and greatly decorated. Death was almost seen as something glorious to be celebrated, not in a a depressive sort of way, but uh, uh, we should celebrate that part of life or we should at least make it as beautiful as we possibly can. And in the Victorian era, era, excuse me, sex was hidden. It was something not talked about. It was something shuffled to the side. Carl Truman says we flip that upon its head. We, we shuffle death to the dark corners, to the recesses. We ignore that it's an issue. We ignore that it's something we have to deal with. And Solomon will deal with it later on in the book of Proverbs. And we celebrate sex. We see it as something to be reveled in. We see it as something to be an expression of our freedom from constraint. It is a great temptation for the man of God, for the woman of God. Solomon is talking to his son. He is he is talking about an adulterous woman. We have to remember that this was written from a father to a son. And so he is dealing with the specific temptation that the son would have. I don't believe that Solomon is speaking about a particular adulterous woman. I don't believe that Solomon, that God would want us to apply this the way that others have applied it to say that women are inherently evil. I do not believe that whatsoever. Hear me say that again. I do not believe that whatsoever, that women are inherently evil. Although some have wrongly applied this passage, it's important for us to remember the context. It's a father writing to his son. 
And so as we apply this to us, we're going to talk about sexual sin in general, even though Solomon speaks of the adulterous woman and the son. One of the things we're going to talk about today is the importance of marriage in restraining sexual sin. And before we get into that, before we get into the passage, I want to address the single people in our congregation, the single people that may be listening. In our earlier scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 7, Paul mentioned that some are gifted for this and some are gifted for that. And what he's talking about there is that God gifts some for marriage and he gives others the gift of singleness. We don't think that in our culture. We idolize marriage in our culture. And I think to a large extent, we idolize marriage within the church as well. But it's important for us to remember that just as much as marriage is a gift, so is singleness. Paul, in his recommendation, the qualifying remark makes it clear that his recommendations are not law. In his recommendation, Paul makes the point that I just mentioned, that singleness and marriage is a gift. If you're tempted to sexual sin and not called or gifted for marriage, Paul makes it clear that God will gift you the strength to avoid sexual sin. You're not left in the lurch if you're not married. God will gift you with the strength to avoid the temptation of sexual sin. So today we will discuss Solomon's warning against, the adult, against adultery. We'll see some of the consequences of adultery. And we'll look at three guards against adultery that God gives to us. First, Solomon's warning against adultery. The first eight verses is an extended warning by Solomon to his son to avoid the adulterous wisdom. He opens up as he does in his other discourses with this call to listen, this call to pay attention to wisdom, to insight, wisdom being the use of wise words for wise living and insight being the proper exercise of discrimination in the discovery of wisdom's precepts. Discrimination in this sense is not a bad word. We have truths placed before us and supposed truths placed before us, and we must discriminate between what is truly true and what is not true. And as we've mentioned, these these words, these teachings should be internalized by the son so that the son can know how to live, how to discern, how to discriminate between wisdom and folly, between truth and falsehood. And in verse 2, we're told that the reason for this in this particular discourse is so that the son can maintain discretion, so that the son can preserve knowledge. To maintain discretion is to, is to hold on to wisdom into such a way that you develop self-discipline. When it comes to sexual temptation, self-discipline is something that is very important. Keeping knowledge is the keeping or guarding of those truths taught so that they help us determine wise from foolishness, right from wrong. But Solomon, if you'll notice in these things, these things have to do with words. These things have to do with speech. He wants the lips, the speech of the son to preserve knowledge. And why is that? It's because the lips, the speech of the adulteress are going to offer him different words, enticing words. These these words drip honey. These words are smoother than oil. There is something exciting about the temptation of adultery. There is something that sounds sweet about illicit sexual relationships, and there is something enticing or exciting But the father, Solomon, goes on to warn that in the end, those words, that woman, that temptation is not sweet and smooth. It is bitter and deadly. Gall or wormwood, depending upon your translation, was a uh, was a plant that uh, had a very bitter leaf. It was sometimes steeped as a tea. Why? Who knows? It was so bitter that you just didn't want to drink it. Uh, We know that Jesus was given gall on the cross as as a as a, a taunt for his thirst. That's what giving in to the adulteress is like. It may seem 
sweet, it may seem enticing, it may seem exciting, but it is bitter. It is also deadly. Her words are sharp as a double-edged sword. This is not only physical death, but also the judgment of God. Psalm 149, verses 6 through 9. I encourage you to look at it later. That's Psalm 149, verses 6 through 9. Talks about the double-edged sword being a symbol of God's judgment. But the double-edged sword in this culture was also a small sword that could be hidden. And so the bitterness, the poisonous, the death that comes through sexual sin is something that is hidden behind the scenes that you don't realize is coming upon you until, until it's too late. And then we're reminded that, that her steps go down to death. We met her in, in chapter 2 of Proverbs once before and we were reminded there that her steps went down to death. And in verse 6, she gives no thought to her conduct, to her paths. In chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, we were told, we were called to make level or to consider the paths for our feet, to take ways, to take only ways that are firm and to not swerve to the left or to the right, to keep your foot from evil. And yet the adulteress gives no thought, no consideration to the levelness of her paths. She wanders aimlessly in crooked and perverse paths. And then, this, then Solomon reiterates, repeats his call to listen. And he gives this final warning in, in verse 8 where he says, Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. The son is called to do absolutely everything he can to avoid the temptation to adultery. The son would be much better served to stay as far away from temptation as possible, especially in this area. Solomon warns his son in this passage that the adulterous woman is dangerous. As I mentioned earlier, I think the adulterous woman for us is a a generalization, a personification of sexual sin, sexual temptation. Adultery, sexual sin is dangerous. It destroys lives, it destroys families, it destroys communities, and yes, it destroys even churches. We live in a culture that praises and pursues sexual freedom. We live in a culture that tells us that sexual freedom is sweet, is enticing, is, it is exciting. But it is dangerous, it is deadly both physically and spiritually. Dangers lurk everywhere for young men, for young women. Well, honestly, for all men and for all women to be enticed by the sweet sounding words of sexual temptation and the promises that they give to us to fill our needs, the promises that these temptations give to us to bring us relief or pleasure or anything and everything that we could want Our lies, they lead to death, they lead to pain, they lead to bitterness and destruction. We must know ourselves well enough to know where our weaknesses for sexual temptation lie. Are we tempted to pornography? Maybe you need to get rid of your computer or your internet service. Are we tempted to fantasy? We should focus on things listed in Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. Have we made sex into an idol? We need to ask ourselves what pain or anxiety or need are we trying to drown or fill with that sex? Once we figure out where the temptations lie, we need to avoid them at all costs. Now, now this doesn't mean that we begin dividing males and females on different sides of the sanctuary when we resume meeting again. But it may mean that you don't put yourself in a situation that leads you to be tempted by sexual sin. Some of you need to commit to never being alone with someone of the opposite sex. While others of you need to commit to never being alone with Internet access. Some of our hedges are going to look the same while others may look different. 
But we must do whatever we can to be wise in our dealings with sexual temptations. We must understand the danger and the death that hides behind the temptations and avoid them at all costs. So Solomon warns his son against the adulterous woman. And then in verses 9 through 14, he lists some consequences of giving in to her temptations, to her words. He first talks off with the damage to the son's reputation. He says in verse 9, lest you give your strength to others. And he says in verse 14, I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. The word translated strength there in verse 9 is a word that means honor. It's a word that means glory, splendor, or majesty. It's not just physical strength, but it's your reputation. The son talks about coming to utter ruin in the courtroom there in verse 4, as assembly is a word used in other places for the court of law in the Old Testament culture. His sin that he thought was secret has been made known. It has been proclaimed from the rooftops in the city, so to speak, and his reputation has suffered. This is not something that we think about in our culture today as the one who gives in to sexual temptation on a regular basis gets a reputation that is praised and glorified in our culture. But not always. When a hookup is the goal, one reputation is sought. But when a spouse is the goal, purity seems to be the ideal. Purity seems to be the reputation. So the first consequence is damage to the son's reputation. The second consequence is damage to your financial means. In a Mosaic law, the penalty for adultery was the death of both parties involved. The forfeiture of life. But because grace exists, there was another way to forfeit your life, a a commuting of the sentence, if you will, which was lifelong servitude or slavery. You could give up your life by serving the one offended, in this case, the spouse or the one cheated. And that's what we see um, through the rest of verse nine through verse 10. Your years, your, you will give your years to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. We'll see later on in chapter 6 and in chapter 7 that um, this adulterous woman has, a, has a, an angry husband. And you could potentially, by giving in to the adulterous woman, you could be giving your life in slavery to that man. To where your toil and labor go to build his wealth rather than your own wealth. Affairs today are expensive as well. People spend lots of money on gifts and hotel rooms for secrecy when they are pursuing an affair. When they're caught, you have counseling costs. Divorces that lead from affairs will cost you in the short term as you pay lawyer fees and court costs. And in the long term, as you pay alimony and child support, as you wander aimlessly deeper and deeper into the pornography landscape, you will begin paying to view content that descends further and further into depravity. Giving into sexual temptation will cost you financially. The third consequence is regret and remorse. Verses 11 through 13 describe the son as an older man. Coming to his senses once his life is consumed completely by his sexual passions. His strength, his body has been consumed by his sexual incontinence. The picture here is one who looks back on his life too late. And realizes that he has made a royal mess through giving into sexual sin. Hear these words, hear the groan, hear the roar of pain. At the end of your life, you will roar out in pain when your flesh and body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. Instructors. I knew it was the right way, but I ignored the teaching of my parents. 
And I pursued the way of folly. But even in these words, brothers and sisters, there is grace. The way this is written, these are words of repentance. These are words of the man who realizes the sin that he has descended into. Has turned his back upon that sin and is looking toward his God. For forgiveness. Bruce Waltke. Excuse me, wrong place there. Each and every one of us will face and are facing sexual temptation. And the reality is that the influence of the sinful flesh will push us to give in to that sin temptation. But thanks be to God that repentance is an option for us. We can be broken hearted by our sin, not just because we are caught, but because we have violated God's law. We can, be, we can be brokenhearted by the disappointment that God has in us because we have turned our back upon Him and have sinned. We can go to Him confessing our brokenheartedness, seeking forgiveness, turning toward wisdom in faith and reliance on the Holy Spirit. When we do these things, God will hear and He will forgive because of the work and righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you are struggling with sexual sin, if you have given in to sexual temptation, I call you today to repent. Be brokenhearted over your sin. Seek God's forgiveness. Call upon God to restore you to the paths of righteousness. We've been warned against adultery. We have seen the consequences of adultery. And Solomon gives his son three guards against adultery. In the concluding verses of Proverbs chapter 5, this would be verses 15 through 23, we see three remedies to this sin that Solomon gives to his son. The first remedy comes in verses 15 through 20. It is the, the, the remedy that Solomon spends the most time on. And the remedy is marriage. Let me read these words again. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Now, we have these words in verses 15, 16, and the first half of 18 that talk about cisterns and rivers and springs and wells and fountains. And they're confusing to us in this day and age. But the key to understanding these words comes in the second half there of verse 18. It says, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. If we think back to Solomon's time, if we think to the the land of modern day Israel and Palestine, we understand that this is a a desert area. Water is difficult to find in a desert. So every house would have a cistern, an an open air cistern, a, a, a large swimming pool type hole in the ground for collecting water. Some of these collected water from the runoff from rains as they happen. Some of these collected water from their own springs and fountains that bubbled up underneath them. Some of them were filled by the diversion of streams and rivers that flowed close to the house. But the important thing to understand and to remember is that every house had its own cistern. And the question here is, don't you have your own cistern? Don't you have your own source of life-giving water? Why would you go steal somebody else's water? Or why would you let the adulterous woman drill a hole into your cistern so that the water flows out into the streets? You wouldn't go steal another man's water, would you? Why would you go steal another man's wife? The idea here is that God has given us marriage to be a remedy against sexual temptation. 
He even goes on to the to describe the wife much as as the poet describes uh, the woman in Song of Songs. As a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her body satisfy you always. May you always be captivated or intoxicated by her love. Men and women, are you intoxicated with your with the love of your spouse? Are you intoxicated? Do you delight in your wife or in your husband? I, I, I don't mean to do this in a manipulative or an objectification, objectifying type of way where we just we just take our sexual sin and perform them on our spouse. But do we truly delight in our spouse in the way that God delights in his children? Husbands, do we truly love our wives in this area in such a way that we are willing to sacrifice our temptations, sacrifice our fantasies so that we might delight in our husbands? Wives, are you willing to sacrifice your fantasies, your desires so that you might delight in your husband? Because that is what God has given us. One of the things that God has given us as a remedy, as a guard against sexual sin. The second guard that Solomon gives to his son is a call to consider God's omniscience. Now, the adulterous woman thinks she's doing things in private. She thinks she is walking ways that are not examined. But in verse 21, Solomon reminds the son, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all his paths. We oftentimes think that our sexual sin is committed in secret late at night in front of a computer screen or or out in some hotel where we think nobody's watching. In reality, God sees and examines everything that we do. He doesn't just check in on us every now and then. He He doesn't just stop by on the weekends to see how we're doing. God's infinity extends to his presence. God's infinity extends to his knowledge. God is fully present and fully aware at every single point in the universe. He knows the sins that we commit. Read and ponder this week from Psalm 139. To see That even were we to go to the deepest part of the ocean, the Mariana Trench is something like 15 or 20,000 feet deep. Were we able to get there, God would be there waiting for us. And he weighs our conduct and our words against his holy law to see if we receive eternal life or eternal damnation. He knows. He sees. And Solomon's third guard to consider is the fate of the wicked. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Sin entraps. We think pursuing sin shows our freedom from the restraints that God puts upon us. But in reality, we are ensnared by our own sin. Jesus said in John 8, you are slaves to your sinful nature. Paul says in Romans, we are either slaves to sin or servants of God. The deeper we go into sin, the more we practice a sin, the greater its tendrils, the greater its bonds and bounds around us. And at the end of verse 33, the folly of the sons, not the actions of the adulteress that condemn the man to death, the son to death. We are judged for our own choices. We are judged for our own sins. And those things without the intervening grace of God will condemn us to death. To guard against sexual sin, delight in your spouse. Remember God's omniscience and consider the fate of the foolish Brothers and sisters, you and I have been warned. And that is a potentially scary place to be. The son had no excuse and now neither do we. 
I conclude with this. If you wrestle with sexual temptation, whether it be in the form of adultery, pornography, premarital sex, same-sex attraction, whatever those temptations may be, please don't struggle alone. Sexual sin and and temptation are strong sins. And the way out oftentimes can seem to be impossible. Please seek the help of a trusted friend. Please seek me out for help or even one of the elders. Don't fight sexual sin alone. Let the light of the gospel shine into the darkness of that area in your life. Let faith and repentance wash you clean and set you free from the bonds of sexual sin. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we repent once again of our sins in this area. And we ask that you give us the grace of repentance. Help us to turn from this, not alone, but with each other. Help us be strengthened to help our brothers and sisters who struggle with this, with their struggle. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will be led in our lives. We will be led on the paths by our King, our eternal King. And so now, if you have your hymn book there or have the lyrics for Lead On, O King Eternal, before you, please turn to it with us. It is hymn number 332, if you have a hymn book. But yes, let us stand, let us sing hymn number 332, Lead On, O King Eternal. Please make sure that you guard your paths, that you examine your paths, because God watches us on our paths. He watches our conducts, He watches our words, and He watches our deeds and our thoughts. But also as you go this week, take this blessing upon you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.